going to discuss a calling that is the most exciting of all. We are being called up. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray together. Father, you are the one who have called us out and you called us together and you are calling us up. We are your kids. We know your voice and we are answering your call. So help us to get in step with you and fulfill our destiny in this generation. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, you may be seated. Our commander in chief, Jesus Christ, he's been planning, he's been preparing before the foundation of the world. And while he was on earth, every miracle that he performed, every message that he spoke, all of it was directly connected to his purpose, to his mission. And specifically for the last 2,000 years, his majesty, the Lord Jesus, he's been planning and preparing for your involvement in his kingdom. He's been interceding for you. He's been preparing a place for you, a position for you in his power structure. Jesus is ready to integrate and to synchronize believers from all denominations and all ethnic backgrounds and all languages and all age groups and all educational backgrounds. Jesus is ready to issue orders and execute operations to fulfill final prophecies and assume command of the kingdoms of this world. And before he does that, we will be called up. Now, in military terms, to be called up, it means that you and your unit have been summoned up for duty. Being called up implies readiness. To be called up means that everything that you and your team have been working towards, everything you've been studying for, everything you've been talking about, everything you've been thinking about, everything you've been drilling for mentally and emotionally and financially and every other way preparing yourself for is now happening. This is it. And there is an anticipation inside of all who love God at the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Because this is the moment that we've been working for. This is what we've been training for. This is what we've been praying for. It's what we've been longing for. The moment when we see Jesus and the inevitable unveiling of his kingdom and the rolling out of his government. And that's exciting. Many of the young adults here at Calvary, they've gone on into, you know, full-time ministry, and, and many have gone on into some successful career. Have you ever caught up 
you know, with an old friend of yours from way back that has gone on to some success, right? And you meet up with them and the people that are, you know, immediately around them, they only know them in the context of their current status, right? Their success. But then the two, two of you meet up and you start talking about the stuff that you did way back as kids, right? And these people in their circle are kind of looking at you like, who are you? right? How do you know them? Are you important? What is this? In the kingdom, I want to see some of my Calvary family arrive into some position of authority and power just so that I can, you know, walk in on your meeting and and remind you about what you did at the USO show. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be an excitement. There's a sense of focus, a sense of purpose, and a mission in being called up because this is the moment that you've been living for. And when we're talking about being called up, if there's a sense of anxiety or fear, then that speaks directly to your lack of readiness. For those whose hearts are not ready, talking about the return of Jesus and the calling up of the church, it sparks uncertainty you know, and fear. Prophecy says that when Jesus and all of the saints return to establish his kingdom, that people are crying out for the mountains and the hills to fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. So, you know, we could be talking about the same event and the same person at the center of it all and have completely different reactions to it. It all comes down to the heart. And that is why Paul's letter to the Thessalonians discusses what we call, you know, the rapture of the church. It's sandwiched in between reminders that spiritually we are being called up as well called up in terms of our personal ethics and morality, called up in terms of our standards, called up in terms of holiness. Let me just roll back a few passages earlier, a few verses earlier than the one we just read. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Look, I I could go into this morning, you know, where all I talk about is, you know, we're going to heaven and Jesus is coming back for his bride and we're gonna be called up to heaven and we're gonna be caught up to him with him in the clouds and everyone, you know, will be shouting and, and dancing around the church and shouting, you know, Michael for president, Michael for president. And it would be awesome. <laughs> But Paul opens this chapter talking about how we should live right now. And then he moves on to the truth of the events to come, that we will be called up to heaven and that we will be with God. This world is going to get hit hard with the justice of God. But let's remember in 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, The time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. In heaven, account books will be opened. Records will be read. Where are, where are my law enforcement people at this morning? Just wave your hand a little bit if you, if you don't mind. Right. Okay, after any kind of incident, after an accident or shots fired, you don't just get to you know, get in your car and drive home, right? You get the privilege 
(laughs) of sitting down and filling out an incident report. This is your account of everything that went down, what was said, who shot what, who threw up in the backseat of your squad car, right? What was observed, all the names, all the facts, all the places. And right now, being written in heaven is the most thorough incident report that you can imagine. Because more than just what is observable is being written, but our attitudes, our intentions, our faith, or maybe our lack of it, it's all being noted. And so Paul knows this, and he's urging us, live holy lives. Paul is reminding us, we are not the masters of our destiny, so let us become masters of our character for the sake of our master, Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm not going to read all of chapter 4 and chapter 5 for you, but I, I want you to read this sometime on your own this week. Because before and after he mentions, we're getting out of here, we're going home, he's commanding everyone. Live holy lives. In fact, I I really like how chapter 5 plays out because it kind of reads like, you know, a hastily written note to your family on the way out the door, right? We had a lot of ladies go off to the women's conference this this weekend, right? Did you have a good time, ladies? So so how many of you ladies, you left a list behind at home for, for the family, right? You know what I'm talking about. Feed the dog, turn off the heat when you leave, empty the trash, lock the doors, heat up, you know, dinners in the fridge, keep the kids alive. Stuff like that, right? You are leaving, and you aren't going to be there, but life's going to go on, and you're trying to put everything down so that your family will survive the weekend, right? And that's kind of how chapter 5 is going. Paul's scribbling out his hasty note to the church. Hey, church family, honor your leaders. Don't be lazy. Don't repay evil for evil. Do good to everybody. Be joyful. Keep praying. Be thankful. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecies. Test everything. Hold to what is good. Stay away from evil. Pray for me. Forward this email to everyone on the list. Love, Paul. And he's scratching out this quick note. Because he's leaving, and the family needs to know how to live. It needs to know where the food in the pantry is, and how to take care of the kids, and which bills need to get paid. But why? I mean, you know, if we believe in Jesus, we're all going to heaven, right? That's it. You told us, you told us we can't improve our salvation. We didn't deserve it, can't earn it, and now what are you going to do? You're going to give us some kind of crazy list of stuff we got to do before we get to heaven? Make up your mind, which is it? Listen, you weren't just called out and called together just to get into heaven. The command of Jesus is, follow me. Follow me. And I think our culture has lost the idea of what a Christian is. And I think sometimes, you know, we we could be partly to blame for that. They think Christian is, you know, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't chew, they don't hang with those who do. All the stuff that they think that we're against, but they have no reference point for anything that we stand for. And the call of Jesus was to follow me. We are called to be Jesus followers, to follow his example in his life, to follow Jesus by picking up our cross every day and carrying it, to follow him into death and sacrifice, and ultimately then to follow him in resurrection. And so Paul is helping us to know what following him looks like. And he puts it into these three main categories. And the first one is live holy. And the second one is love each other. And the third one is work hard. 
And look, there's, you know, there's a million books and sermons and podcasts and all kinds of stuff written about how to live a Christian life, how to live holy. And we don't have time this morning to dig down into everything that he's put here. But I want to briefly touch on this because th- these are significant. There's a reason that Paul stuck with these three behaviors before he mentions, we're going to heaven. We're going to meet the Lord. And the first one is, live holy. Why? Because this is the evidence that we believe that we belong to God and not to ourselves. You gave your life to God. You gave your body to him. And that means he owns it all. He owns everything. His spirit lives in you. And so what you do with your body, you're doing it to him. You're doing it to his body. And if you are going and having sex outside of marriage, you are defiling his body. When you knowingly live a lifestyle that is destructive to your body, you're doing that to him. You're mistreating his property, his temple, his place of residence. Look, active duty military can and do get in trouble if they get a severe sunburn. Why? Because they've damaged government property and they cannot perform their duties when they're expected to. Even though this body is just an interface, it is a holy residence. It is the property of Jesus Christ. I'm just the steward. I'm the janitor. I'm the housekeeper. And I'm, I'm the guard. I stand at the gate, right? And I make sure that anything that comes in is acceptable to him. Not so I can earn my salvation, but because I'm acting on what I know, that God lives in me, and I'm in him. And by faith, my body has become his temple. And what I watch, he watches. What I see, he sees. What I do with my body, I'm doing to his. And when I do see him face to face, I don't want to be ashamed with how I treated his house. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Samson, remember? And he's the real life super, Superman of the Bible. And he was called, he was set apart, and he had these rules that regulated his life. It was, it was all the outward sign of that covenant that he had with God. But Samson was selfish, he was self-centered, and he wanted what he wanted, and he trashed his relationship with God, and that led to him trashing all the rules, and that led him to losing his strength, and losing his eyes, and losing his dignity, And Samson's internal issues resulted in external bondage. And that's exactly the pattern that we will will see repeated in our lives of anyone who does this. And you have that, you know, you have that selfish extreme. And on the other extreme, you have, let me just take it as an example, the Sadducees of Jesus' time, right? They followed a ton of rules. They followed all these regulations, but they completely missed out on the grace of God, and they rejected the only Son of God. They were trying to earn what cannot be earned. And Jesus said, you look great on the outside. You look good, but the spiritual rot on the inside, it makes me want to gag. True holiness, it flows from embracing the love of God and then letting that touch and affect everything about my life. Can I get an amen this morning? And the second thing that Paul hits on is love each other. In verse 10, he says, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. There's more love to give. 
Look, we're, we're going to live eternally with everyone who put their faith in Jesus. And some of them are different than you. Some of them are really weird. From all age groups and all backgrounds and all educational you know, levels, so maybe some of them have hurt you said something about you, and if you don't get right with each other and stop being offended by everything that somebody says and start covering each other with love that covers a multitude of sins, there's going to be some really awkward conversations in heaven, right? Like, you know, hey, um, I just, I wanted to come over to this side of the Golden Street and just tell you about that thing that I was saying behind your back. I'm so sorry about, right? Paul's trying to get us to avoid all of this, and you think, Paul, The man who persecuted Christians. You think that he didn't have some tearful, private conversations with people after he came to Jesus? Because he was looking in the eyeballs of people whose family members maybe were dead or were in prison. And their lives were never the same. So many people walk around with regret about unfinished business in their life. Things that went unsaid with loved ones in this life. And Paul is saying... Let's just do it now. Because when the rapture happens, or when we die, whichever comes first, it's pencils down. And you can't tell one more person about Jesus. You can't ask for forgiveness one more time. You cannot do one more act of faith. And what you've written is written. And I think it's telling in the Bible when it describes the elders throwing down their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Because when we see him, When we see him in reality, we will recognize that without him, we wouldn't be there. It's only because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's only his spirit in us, equipping us, encouraging us, developing us, that we could do anything of eternal value. And we will confess, Lord, I know it was you the whole time. Who am I? What was I? I was a train wreck of a life that you grabbed out of the fire and you saved. I didn't do anything. It was you the whole time. And everything that we've been holding against people and the ways that they hurt us or let us down or abandoned us or disappointed us or robbed us, we find out they weren't doing it to us. You remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus, he was going to go persecute some Christians and Jesus appeared to him on the road. And what did he say to Paul? Paul, why are you persecuting me? He said that to him. Paul was on his way to go get the Christians, hunting them down, imprisoning them. But Jesus asked, why are you hurting me? When you become a parent, you begin to understand a little bit more clearly that when somebody hurts your kids, that's your blood. That's your heart. That's your life. They're doing it to you. And and when someone hurts his kids because they lied about you or they abandoned you, they're doing it to Jesus. And here's the real kicker. If you do that to somebody, you're doing it to him too. So forgive others. Love others. Don't hold grudges or be bitter, but forgive quickly. Do it easily. Do it before they ever even ask for it because that is the evidence that you belong to Jesus. That... Come on, give him praise. That, that's the genetic proof that you are family. And Paul is telling us, do that now. So that when we get to heaven, when we see Jesus face to face, he recognizes family. 
right? We don't want to be ashamed with how he treated him by the way that we treated others. Because Jesus will be interacting with us in the way that we interact with him. And the way that we interact with others. And that's why to some he's going to say, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do to me. And to others he will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and my sisters, you were doing that to me. Live your life here so that when we're in heaven, we will have worked at minimizing those regrets. We all have them. It's true. I don't have a time machine to go back and fix any of that, but I can start today on something else. Here's number three. Work hard. And I think that's interesting that that's the item he puts just before he talks about us going up to heaven to meet Jesus in the air. He talks about working hard, and here's what he says. Mind your own business (laughs) and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Anybody ever have, you know, do you have one of those house guests? You know, they come, they stay at your house. But then they just, you know, they sit on the couch. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to have conversations with you. They're not interested in you. They just want to sit there on the couch and, you know, be served everything all day. Anybody ever have that experience? You don't have to raise your hand. Look, this is a maturity issue. And some people, they just never outgrow it. Emotionally, they're still wearing parachute pants, right? (laughs) I don't know. Just try to scrub it out of your head. I don't know. I've got a... I've got a couple of kids living in my house, right? And it's, you know, daddy, get me something to drink or, you know, daddy, zip up my coat or daddy, play karate with me or whatever. And all day long, it's do this and do this and do this. And why? Because, you know, they're little kids. They're four and five years old. And frankly, you know what? I was that way. But as I grew up, I learned to identify needs and initiate involvement. And when you make that shift, you start to immediately see the, the change, the results in the relationships, right? And so now when I go over to my parents' house, I can ask, hey, what can I do to help? You know, can I, can I help set the table for dinner? Or, you know, what can Kirsten make to bring over? <laughs> Love rejoices in the truth, Right? But I start looking for ways to serve, not just to be served. The mark of an immature relationship is when you're always focused about what are you getting out of it. And the mark of a mature relationship is when you're focused on what does the other person need. And and even beyond, you know, things that they might tell you that they need, when you really know somebody, you can begin to anticipate what is it that they're going to need before they even ask. I remember several years ago for Kirsten's birthday, I got her a Kindle. She didn't ask for it. She never even mentioned it. But, you know, we're the kind of people, you know, I I know her. She loves to read. And we would go, when we would go on a a vacation, we would just buy a bunch of books and go read for several, because we're nerds like that, right? And I know her passion for reading. And so I got her a Kindle, and she still talks about it. She loved that gift. When we love God and we start to mature in that relationship, then we can stop praying, oh, God, do this and this and this and this for me all the time. And then we can begin to start asking, God, what can I do for you? How can I help you? 
What does your kingdom need? What do your people need? How can I help? Because we're not as interested in the stuff as we are in the relationship. Having the king is better than having the bling. So let me ask you this. If heaven is a place of riches beyond compare, if heaven was just us, if it was just us and Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, no streets of gold, no mansion, would you still be excited? And you don't have to answer that question because your life answers that question. We don't have any of that stuff here. But we have God, and we have the Son, Jesus, and we have his Holy Spirit living in us. So why wait for something that you already have? Why are you looking forward to celebrating something that you have now? You've got it now. And we will be called up, and we will ultimately go to heaven, and we will see him and meet him in the air. But I get a little concerned when I'm around people who just want to talk about how great it's going to be and how much they can't wait to be there. Because you know what? Heaven is more than just an event. It is the ultimate manifestation of a spiritual reality that is at work in us now. Having a new immortal body does not mean a better relationship with Jesus. You have that now. The relationship that you invest in now is the relationship you will have there. You are being called up to live as citizens of heaven right now. Stop waiting for the rapture to live in the presence of God. You can do that now. So rise up to the call because you are a citizen of heaven now. We are being called out. We are being called up. Because every action, every decision we make, every attitude, it confirms our citizenship, our DNA. When we love what Jesus loves, when we do what he did, we are confirming by faith. This is who I belong to. This is where my citizenship lies. This is home. We're being called not to live the lives of the people of earth, but to live above it. To rise above the sin, to rise above the selfishness and the lazy living. We are called to rise up and to put our standards above the world's standards and in line with God's standards. Because every time we do that, we reaffirm our faith, our family, our blood is his. His people are my people. His ways are my ways. And wherever he goes, that's where I'm headed. Do you remember when you were in school and you were studying the American Revolution? Maybe your history book, your textbook, or maybe you had pictures or drawings in it. Uh, maybe you saw some artistic you know, representation of, of the line, the, the way that they would fight in these formations. And you would see these, this line of British soldiers dressed in their colors, you know, behind the standard, the flag of England. And then on the other side, you, know, you would see the line of patriots wearing their colors behind the flag of the American colonies. And I want you to just try to imagine that picture because when the enemy comes at our line, when he starts to tempt you into living a lie rooted in the pleasures and the entertainments of earth, then we will raise up our standard, the flag, the colors of our citizenship. And you say, I don't belong to that life. I'm no longer a subject of the kingdoms of this world. I'm raising up his standard because this is my country. This is my God. I speak his language and I walk in his ways. And I'm raising up his standard. Now here, come on, give him praise. Here, 
you might be regarded as a fool. Here, you might be regarded as a traitor or a freak. But when we get home, ha, yes, we will know we belong there because I belong to Jesus and I'm putting his standard in my home. I'm raising his standard at work, his standard in my finances and in the way that I think and the way that I speak. And when the enemy comes in and tries to infiltrate our homes, what are we going to do? We're going to raise up that standard and we're going to kick the door into his face and we're going to tell him no more. Because we have no king but Jesus. And we lift up his colors and his banner. And his banner over me is love. I don't need counterfeit love from you, world. I don't need approval from you, culture, because there's a banner over my life. It is the love of God. And you got to worry a little bit when it's hard to tell the difference between the church and the world. When people who say there are Christians are in agreement with the things of the world. Because we are meant to be foreigners here. We are the X-Men mutants living among the mortals. We speak a different language. And in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. So let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. So if your life looks like everybody else's in this culture, you got to do a flag check. Check the standard that you're under. Are you under his standard? Are you calling your life up to his standard? Or have you fallen in with the ranks of the world standards? Check your flag. Check the flag, people. Check the decisions that you make. Is it in line with the standard of heaven? This is not, I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about confirming your citizenship. By faith, I choose to live in God's ways. In my life, how I spend my time, where I spend my money, in the way that I forgive, in the way that I treat people, it's all evidence who I really believe I am and who he is calling me to be. Before Kirsten and I started having kids, she worked for Cintas, and uh, she was working over there at Cintas, and they moved her over into, into a sales position. She was kind of, you know, she had some anxiety about that. She wasn't sure if she could do that, and she prayed, and you know what? God spoke to her about it, gave her a word, and so she just dug in, and she excelled. In one year, she went from rookie of the year to sales rep of the year in the entire western region. So we're talking about from, from Canada to Mexico and the entire Western region, this girl right here was the top sales rep in one year, right? And the reward for that was an all-expense vacation to the Dominican Republic, right? It was in a posh resort. There was going to be this huge, you know, there were several days. There was going to be this huge banquet and awards given out, names read and recognized, shaking the hands of the CEOs and all that good stuff. Now, Kirsten had already earned that achievement months before. It was a for, the banquet, the party, was all just a foregone conclusion. And I would like to just point out that the only reason that I was there on the sandy beaches of the Dominican Republic, right, at this awesome resort and enjoying all of these wonderful experiences is because of my relationship with Kirsten. If I wasn't married to her, I wouldn't have been there. I didn't sell anything for Cintas. You know, they didn't know who I was. 
I was nothing to them. I was reaping the rewards of a relationship. And that is the truth of heaven. It's because of what Jesus has done. It is because of his perfection, because of his finished work at the cross, because he took away all your sin and he has given you his righteousness. And that is why you and I will be included in these amazing experiences. Knowing Jesus, being in a relationship with Jesus, that is what separates those who will spend an eternity in hell separated from God from those who will live with God and reign with Christ forever. And there's a very honest moment in Revelation chapter 4 where 24 elders, they get down off of their thrones and they take all the crowns off their head and they bow down and they toss their crowns at the feet of Jesus. And these elders are selected to represent all of us who are a part of the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church. And even the best of the best of the best in heaven will have to acknowledge, it was only your grace, Jesus. It was all your grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And when we arrive in heaven, we will understand the only reason we are there is because of that relationship. Not because we earned it, but because he did. And we chose to follow him. And we've been called up. So church, rise up. Follow the way he lived. Follow the way that he died. And we will follow the way that he was raised up. So why don't you stand up this morning and give him praise in his house. Come on, lift up your voice.